pouring from the dunes now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the zany Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, I guess I should announce that this is my final show on the Fire and Water Podcast. I'm going to be replaced by Jeff Parker next week. It's going to be quite exciting. (laughs) We're looking forward to it. He's got a lot of neat ideas about the direction he wants to take the show. <laughs> and apparently, to be apparently, the show will not have a beard anymore. So no, no. when when he takes over, good stuff. <laughs> uh, as Rob is hinting, we've got some big news to talk about. But first, uh, just to give you an idea, folks, this is you know it's interesting. This is the first fire and water we've actually done for in a while because we've had um, you know the special. Hey Kids Comics, we've had the special uh, Hero Points podcast. It's kind of neat to get back to Fire and Water. But we got a lot to talk about. It's, it's a weird one because we don't have an Aquaman or a Firestorm issue. What we've got are Villains Month. So we're going to be covering Black Mana number one and Killer Frost number one. We're also going to talk uh, a little bit about... Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some big announcements that have come through, and we're going to do some listener feedback in this episode. Yes, so, after, dem- after much demands that we return listener feedback to its more regular status, we're bringing yes. listener feedback back into the back into the regular sort of show, but in bite-sized chunks. Yes. so it's a little more manageable. So, yes. but first, folks, we've got to give props to our sponsor. In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping of orders of $50 or more. And we are very appreciative of the sponsorship of the Firewater Podcast. Today, I am going to give shouts out to a book that at first you're going to be like, huh? Wondering why, but it's going to make a little more sense when we get the listener feedback. I am going to prop up X Factor Visionaries. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> X-Factor Visionaries, Peter David, Trade Paperback, Volume 4. Now, this collects issues 84 through 89 of X-Factor and Annual Number 8. Seems a little odd that I'm promoting Volume 4 of this book, but it's a great chunk of, of um, 
X Factor, and it's got honestly one of my favorite comic books to come out of the '90s. It's a discussion where the members of X Factor one on one meet with a psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't remember which. Anyway, and they sort of talk through their issues. It's great. Quicksilver he explains why he's such a jerk. Havoc. We get a, a glimpse into his paranoia. It is a phenomenal comic. Anyway, there's a lot of other great comics in there too, but. Anyway, you should check it out. It's Peter David, and uh, you've got art in there from Jay Lee, Joe Casada. You know, come on, uh, Chris Batista. Uh, Batista, I think is how you say it. Batista. And a lot of you know, a lot of other folks. It's got 136 pages, and normally goes for 15.99. Right now, on in stock trades with that 45 percent discount, you can get it for eight dollars and 79 cents. Again, that's X Factor Visionaries, Peter David, trade paperback, volume four. Uh, yeah, I decided. Normally, I've been, I've been the last couple of recommendations. I'm doing real off-brand stuff, but there this week I'm going right over the plate. Uh, I'm, I might have even talked about this book before, but if, if even if I have, who cares? It's Aquaman: Death of a Prince. Uh, it's the basically the 1970s Aquaman collection. It collects Adventure Comics 435 through 437, 441 through 455, and Aquaman 57 through 57 through 63. This is like some of my all-time favorite Aquaman comics. It probably is the first Aquaman comics I ever read. Even it's got stuff by Mike Grell, Paul Levitz, Paul Kupperberg, Steve Skeets, Jim Aparo. Don yeah, I mean just everybody, and these are these are some of my all-time favorite Aquaman stories. Uh, the book normally retails for twenty nine ninety nine. It is currently on sale and in stock trades at sixteen dollars and forty nine cents, forty five percent off. And bonus, if you buy this book, um, you can go to the Aquaman Shrine dot net, not dot com anymore. Everybody, check your browsers. AquamanShrine dot net, and you can download an intro that I wrote for this collection. At the time, because I was really bothered that they never, that DC did not bother to hire anybody to do an intro for this collection. So I wrote one myself that you can print out, <laughs> stick right into the book. So <laughs> uh, we'll we'll put that link in the show notes. So if you buy this book, you can. We will. What? Yes, we will. Yes, we're going to. <laughs> yes, we're going to. Even if you don't, I'll add it in at the last second. So, uh, but anyway, it's it's a it's a fantastic book. You know, it's just classic Aquaman stories. By some of his, you know, most illustrious creators, and for sixteen dollars and forty nine cents, you can't beat it. Wait, hang on a minute. I'm going to go write an intro for the X Factor book. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. All kidding aside, actually, I've read Rob's uh, intro, and it's actually very good, and is is worthy of being in the book. But nice. I just got to give him a hard time. <laughs> yeah, of course. I know. It's very, one. Somebody left a comment back then, and was like, "Boy, somebody thinks a lot of themselves." <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Good I wish Russell hadn't done that. Right. <laughs> Go check out InStockTrades.com. Again, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. And you can get 45% off and shipping $50 or more. I'm sorry, free shipping for orders of $50 or more. <laughs> $50 shipping? That doesn't sound like a deal at all. <laughs> well, so uh, there hasn't really been anything interesting to talk about with Aquaman lately, has there? No. No, nothing. Nothing at all. Let's talk about Killer Frost. Not a peep, huh? <laughs> uh, well, yes, we're being very cute. Obviously, the big news is Jeff Johns is officially leaving Aquaman as of number 25. Jeff Parker, who currently writes Batman 66, which is uh, one of my new favorite titles, is taking over the book. Um, yeah, you know, it's big, big, big to do. I am deathly afraid of what this means for Aquaman, just because uh, uh, I think a lot of his new fans are... Fairweather fans, and they're fans of Jeff Johns more than they're fans of Aquaman. And, you know, the book, 
it's still one of DC's best-selling titles, but, you know, it's not a Batman book. It's not a Superman book. And, you know, Jeff Johns is, is a big reason why people gave it a shot. So, you know, creatively, I'm excited about this because I like Jeff Parker. He is a good writer. I've managed to talk to him personally about uh, taking over Aquaman. We'll be running an interview with him shortly. Awesome. Um, yeah, and he's a very nice guy, and he seems very excited. And I genuinely like Batman 66, although, you know, it's not like you can transpose what he does there for anything else. Um, so Aquaman 66, I love, Oh my God, would I love that? Um, (laughs) splash, (laughs) you know, that would be great. Um, come on, Tusky. Yeah. Oh man, that would be killer. Um, you know, the guy, I mean, Jeff Parker's Twitter avatar is the filmation Aquaman. So, I mean, I love that. Yeah. I think that's great. So creatively, I'm very, very excited, but I am going to be watching those sales figures <laughs> with, yeah. a, with a keen eye. Um, I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't really think that that DC would ever cancel Aquaman so soon. I just think he made such a big, again, splash in the New Fifty Two that, like, they, I, I think he would have to dip into like OMAC numbers for quite a <laughs> long time for them to do so, for them to really fully get rid of him because you know he really did get a lot of attention. So. I'm thank not, you for not. Thank you for not saying firestorm numbers. Yeah. Well, OMAC, OMAC is to you know, and again, um, this is not a comment on OMAC's creativity, but OMAC was, I think, considered like the dog of the New Fifty Two. Like it, it, it was a poor seller right from the get go. So it was the first one canceled. The first one canceled, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so I don't think Aquaman's really in danger of that. But also, number issue number seventy six seems really far away. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought it up because I mean I know I, we're both excited about Jeff Parker coming on the book, as you said creatively. But I, I was curious if you were going to acknowledge the whole possibility that the Armageddon clock just started. So I was wondering. I, so I, I hope I hope it's not the case. I hope the book still sells. And I mean, it, the fact is, even if it takes a huge hit, even if all the Jeff Johns Fairweather fans go, it's still got to sell better than some of the other books, you know, on the bottom of the of the DC pile. Right. Right. So, I mean, a lot of what depends. A lot of what. Uh, what category? What uh, classifies a book as being sort of in the cancellation range is how it sells in comparison to the other titles. So you know, uh, yeah, Aquaman may lose you know a couple tens of thousand copies, but as long as it's still selling more than a lot of the other DC books, it's not going to get canceled. It, you know, the, the context does matter. So again, I'm not that concerned about it, but you know, never, he, Jeff Johns is one of the biggest superstars in comics, and. He was writing a character that had a tough time getting sales, and he was a huge, he was a huge, huge help to the character. He's done more for Aquaman than anybody in, I, I don't know, maybe ever, uh, potentially. So, you well, know, there's that Peter David argument. I, more than Peter David, I, I'd say Jeff. I'd say no. I'd say no single creator did more to turn on Aquaman's fortunes than Jeff Johns. I, I feel confident mm. in saying that. Mm. You can grumble all you want. I'm not. I'm just. Mm. Considering, okay. considering. So, all right. Well, um, now more importantly than the Jeff Johns announcement, I mean, Rob and I've been talking about this other thing for oof, since it came out. It's big news. Uh, Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns leaving Aquaman actually pales in comparison of this. In Forever Evil number one, which was you know obviously one of DC's uh, tentpole books this month, um, there's a return of. Quite possibly the single most important villain of the DC universe, folks, and that's right. Slipknot has arrived. <laughs> all leading to the to new fifty-two. It is. I mean, yeah. I mean, it really makes sense. It goes from Flashpoint to you know the beginning of the new fifty-two to Trinity War to Forever Evil to you know obviously what's going to be. I, I'm thinking probably January solicitation for Slipknot number one. I mean, what are you thinking? <laughs> 
Is there some sort of Slipknot anniversary coming up that they can commemorate? I'm, I'm not sure when he first appeared. So, I mean, does he really need an anniversary well, I'm for just it? Saying, it, would make it you, that way you get media attention. Oh, okay, that's true. Could be. Yeah, get on the cover yeah, of Time exactly. or something. Um, so yes, Slipknot apparently in one little tiny, barely sketched out corner of a panel um that was him <laughs> and so he's back he's back so we'll have to see what becomes of that so uh so this is two things that the firewater podcast have jokingly predicted one was the five ongoing series <laughs> which we predicted apparently in like the first episode of the show and another is the return of slipknot so you know what what should we you know, composite superman is that what's next i, I don't know that i find a million dollars tomorrow <laughs> in the dc universe oh, maybe that's not going to do okay. much good oh. Some some bald some bald guy in the background of Aquaman has a little you know metal detector on the beach. <laughs> ah! so, anyway, uh, so folks, we're going to go ahead and tackle these villains month books. We're going to start with Justice League of America number seven point two. That's not going to make anybody with a database cataloging <laughs> system to look fine. <laughs> Justice League of America number seven point two. Killer Frost number one. Yes, that is his full length title. And I don't know about you, I went ahead and picked up the 3D covers here. These are my two covers together. My wife the other night was like, what is that noise? Because I had a stack of the 3D comics, and they're all making that noise against each other. Uh, I showed her the 3D cover. I'm like, look, DC did this kind of cool thing this month. Check it out. And I showed it to her, and she's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, the 3D's good, but, like, why? And I, I tried to. It's I 1996 failed to all over again. Right. And, you know, and I said, well, this is the kind of stuff I used to have to sell when I managed a comic book store. And she's like, well, I don't understand. Why do they do it? And I said, oh, well, they charge a dollar more. And she was outraged. <laughs> I mean, she was incensed that DC would charge a dollar more. for What? Why? Why would they do this? Just lost her mind. You know, then I very quickly, you know, retreated, not hoping to that she didn't realize how much monthly comics cost anyway. So I think she <laughs> they cost what? So, anyway, uh, Killer Frost number one, and uh, I'm just going to call it Killer Frost number one, rather than just like American number 7.2, blah, 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 blah. This is a joint venture. Where is the title page in this sucker? Oh, my gosh. Is it the last page? I was going to try and say the creative team. I know it's written by Sterling Gates. So, yes, here we are, the last page, one of those things. Writer, Sterling Gates, artist. Oh, I'm going to say this wrong. Durless Santa Cruz, right. yeah. I think. Uh, Brett Smith was a colorist, and you've got uh, a number of different people. Tony Daniel and Matt Banning did the cover, and um, Kate Stewart and Brian Cunningham were editors. So there you go. All right. This is essentially a story of a sweet and driven, brilliant young scientist who is turned into a monster. And it's just a story of how she copes with it and how the condition causes her to do evil things. I mean, that's sort of your elevator speech for what this comic's about. And uh, it, the focus of the book is about a young girl named Dr. Caitlin Snow. And it's worth mentioning that this story takes place three years ago. So, you know, in theory, Killer Frost actually predates Firestorm because this would have happened, I guess, two years after the Justice League was formed. Uh, that sounds right, yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Caitlin Snow is a very, very young, 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 like right out of grad school kind of thing, scientist. And she goes up to the Arctic Circle to the Star Labs Thermodynamics <laughs> Division. Because they have one of them. And she goes up there. Well, of course they do. She's going up there to work on this amazing device. It's the self-sustaining thermodynamic uh, ultraconductor engine. That's a mouthful and a half. The gist of it is it's going to be a you know perpetual energy machine. 
And they're the previous scientist, Dr. Louise Lincoln, ding, if you recognize that, we'll come back to it, uh, was working on the device and ended up in a sort of craziness, wandered off into the snow and froze to death. What a terrible, tragic thing for her. Anyway, so Caitlin starts working on the device. She meets her coworkers, a bunch of other scientists that are up there, seem like nice enough folks. Though may perhaps a bit unmotivated, but nice enough folks. Caitlin succeeds and ends up making the device work. She breaks the laws of physics is what she says. She says something to the effect of, like, in a world where people can fly, is it really that unreasonable to bend the rules of physics? Neat, neat idea. So anyway, she succeeds in repairing the machine, and uh, as it comes online, she is suddenly knocked unconscious. She wakes up, and she is inside the thermodynamic ultraconductor engine. She's been placed in there by her coworkers, these people that we thought were nice. Turns out they're actually secretly Hive agents, and Hive does not want this perpetual energy. This is a great – I love this bit. They, they don't want the perpetual energy machine to be built because they have so heavily invested in the energy industry. <laughs> this, is, this is industrial espionage is what creates Killer Frost. I love that. So they set the ultra – It's such such a long-term ultraconductor, I'll just call it. They set the ultraconductor to overload with Caitlin inside so that she's going to die in this tragic accident. You know, everyone will think it's an accident, and they'll scrap the project, and everyone can go their separate ways, and Hive will be able to maintain their control of the energy market. Anyway, when this thing goes to explode, uh, she's trying to rewire it at the same time. It it overloads. The apartment's uh, flooded with supercoolant, and suddenly she is transformed into Killer Frost. And uh, she's, she's or essentially she's transformed into a frozen energy vampire. She takes down everybody up there in the station. Oddly enough, she kills. I'm sorry, she sucks all the energy from all the men, but just murders the woman. I didn't notice that until my reread. She doesn't actually suck the energy out of the woman. She just kills her. Hmm. Anyway, so she is suffering. It's sort of a tale of a monster. She's suffering. She's so hungry. She's desperately hungry and for energy. And she the place she knows she can get it from is from human beings. So she wanders out in the snow eventually makes her way back to civilization, and eventually, after a while, confronts Firestorm. And she finds out that if she sucks enough energy off Firestorm, she actually, for a brief moment, transforms back to human. It's something she so desperately wants. So from that kind of point on, she decides Firestorm is where it's at, baby. So she continually confronts Firestorm, trying to steal, steal his energy. Uh, and in the end, you know, he, all the Justice League are taken out by the crime syndicate of America. And you get a little couple – you get a page here where it's sort of a, a nod to Forever Evil number one where they're with the crime syndicate. And she's just so upset that Firestorm's gone, and she doesn't know what to do, and she's completely distraught. And the story ends so sad. I mean, I mean she's a killer. It's hard, you know, but you still you feel sorry for her because she's in this alley, and she's so depressed in the alley starting to freeze over just by her presence. She says, what the hell am I going to do now? I just, I just don't want to die in here from the cold. Oof. Man, powerful story. I really like this comic. What about I you? I did. I did. Um, I, first of all, I liked the art quite a bit. I think the art was really, mm-hmm. really nice. Uh, and one of the thing I like most, I mean, I like the ending. I thought, well, first I thought the opening page was great of her freezing to death in the snow. I just thought that was, you know, a very powerful image of, it reminded me of um, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Uh, which I thought was cool. And then I liked the, the, the final page, like you just said. But the thing I liked about it, I think more than anything else, uh, the main reason I, I, I'm not a big fan of these sort of villain-centric um, events is because I always mm-hmm. feel as though it gives comic book writers license to just stick a ton of violence into superhero comics. And I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not mm-hmm. a big fan of bloody action in superhero comics. And it's not because I'm like a big violence prude. I love horror movies and I really like 
some really nasty, like, Italian horror movies, which are, you know, like the works of, uh, you know, Dario Argento and other things like that. I just find that a lot of times it's like, it's just an excuse to, like, let's just be extra badass. And I just find that, mm-hmm. I find that all very tiresome and everything else. But they kind of, Sterling Gates didn't hit that too heavy in this. I mean, there's violence, certainly. I mean, in that opening shot where she turns into Kevin Frost, there's that guy that she's turned into a zombie. But it just, there's not, a, it's it's fantasy violence as opposed to, as we'll get to later on in the show, the Black Mana book, which is just full of people's necks being sliced open. And Well, it's it's more like, um, following what you said, it's more like classic monster yeah, movie right, violence yeah, yeah. in that it's the misunderstood monster. Or who doesn't realize or, or can't stop themselves from doing damage, not gleefully yeah, and doing it's a, stuff. I mean, it's similar to, you know, you think about there's a lot of killing in Star Wars, but it's like laser rifles and ships being blown up as opposed to people getting their heads cut off. And, you know, I just I have my I have my thing about that stuff being in superhero comics. So I liked that Sterling Gates soft pedaled that in this in this particular comic. So I, I was I wasn't. You know, wasn't like looking that much forward to this because I was just like, eh, Killer Frost, really a whole book by herself. Or, I mean, this whole event, I kind of was like, had a shruggy sort of feeling about. But, but uh, I actually thought this was was pretty good. And like I said, I thought the artwork was actually very, very nice. And the cover, in particular, I think is outstanding. Okay, see, I'm not actually a huge fan of the cover. Um, I don't necessarily like Tony Daniels' version of Killer Frost. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this look in general for Killer Frost. I thought the the interior art pulled it off pretty good. Uh, Derlis Santa Cruz, or however you say the gentleman's name. Uh, I thought he pulled it off pretty well. The cover, I'm not... I like the 3D effect. I think the 3D effect on this one actually is pretty good with the ice coming out at you. Um, and if you hold it just right, it, it actually pops quite well. But um, anyway, so I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't mean to belabor it. But anyway, I'm just not a huge fan of the cover, but the interior I really like. I agree with everything you said about the, the violence being... Well, down not downplay, but not gratuitous, you know? So... I enjoyed that quite a bit. I was also very nervous about this book because, you know, when I first heard they were doing a Killer Frost one-shot and it's the, the visual of Killer Frost I'm not terribly in love with. I miss the old dress. I miss the old classy, classic, classy-looking sort of Killer Frost. And uh, so I, I was very nervous about this. And then when I heard that it wasn't even Crystal Frost, I was even more nervous. But then I, I interviewed Sterling Gates over on Firestorm Fan. If you want to read that, that's out there. And he was really cool, and he really actually, obviously had a lot of passion for this. He put a lot of thought and a lot of effort. He didn't just – this isn't something he just rattled off in a weekend. I mean he really put a lot of work into this. And when, during the interview, you really get a sense he really fell in love with this book. And uh, I was like, okay, you know what? This Obviously, the writer cares, so I'm going to give this a shot. And I loved it. I didn't mind at all that they changed Crystal Frost to Caitlin Snow. I think it's actually a more modern, hipper name. I love that they had a nod to Louise Lincoln. You probably don't know who Louise Lincoln is, do you? She is the second Killer Frost. Oh, okay. So when when Crystal Frost died, and another and her, another Crystal Frost, another Killer Frost was created, it was Louise Lincoln. So I love that they had that nod in there to her. Um, I think that the the creepiness of her being the monster and needing the energy so desperately, and yet she doesn't necessarily want to be that way. I, th- I felt like that was really really well done. Um, <laughs> I thought the coworkers were kind of funny, you know, like a. Essentially, the whole idea was they said, you know, we, we don't want you to create the energy thing because it's going to make everyone our life bad because Hive won't, you know, control the energy market anymore. It was sort of like the world's worst case of coworkers where they say, no, stop working so hard, you're making the rest of this look bad. It's kind of that. <laughs> I really dug that. You mentioned the first page where the the person's freezing on the first page. That's actually Louise Lincoln outside okay. freezing. Is who that is. And there's a in here he's talking about a paper written by a gentleman named Peter Stark about what it's like to freeze to death. 
and actually tells you sort of like what it really is like to freeze to death. And in in the interview with Sterling, he said he actually this is all real. He read this paper and he said it's just creepy as hell that everyone should read it. And uh, it's just scary to think about actually freezing to death. Supposedly, so. it's, it's kind of peaceful. It didn't sound like it here. I read that, it's, that it, that it messes guess. with your mind and it actually starts making you relax and stuff like that. And it actually lulls you into this sort of like sleepy mode, which is to me even kind of creepier that you, you don't you – don't, Well, it does make you sleepy. Yeah. That's true, yeah. I'm freaking out. I have nightmares now. Uh, I love that they established that she has fought Firestorm numerous times. So it's not just in the Dan Jurgens episode issues we saw. I mean, the, the implication here is that they fought a bunch, which I think is just great. I love that sort of when stuff you see stuff that happened off panel, right? You know, if you will. So I, I didn't even really think we'd see Firestorm much in here, but he got a good couple pages. So. All in all, I think it was a very well written story. I think it was constructed well. It was a really nice one and done. I, I felt like you read the story about a monster. And you felt sorry for the monster by the end of it. I really like that kind of you know Frankenstein's monster sort of style. The nod to Forever Evil number one. I guess that's sort of a theme in all of the villains books. Now, you, you haven't read Forever no. Evil, have you? Okay, I, I I caved and I bought Forever Evil number one, and it's not bad. It's it's fine for what it is. But it seems like every Villains Month book has to feature some scene from. Forever Evil. And there's a scene where the, the crime syndicate are talking and Killer Frost is pissed off. She walks away. That's a scene directly from Forever Evil. So I think as we talk about Black Mantle, we'll talk about it even more. But it seems like every Villains Month book has to have that. For example, I read Deathstroke. Um, no, I did not. I read Deadshot. I'm sorry. I read Deadshot. And it had that sort of moment, which, by the way, Deadshot was really good, although it's that gratuitous violence thing you don't like. But the Deadshot book was pretty darn good. I was impressed with that one, too. All in all, Great comic, very pleased, and uh, I would love to see more Sterling Gates writing Firestorm characters. Oh, it'd be so good. So I'm going to have to um, uh, get my Sterling Gates fixed by catching up on Vibe. I actually just recently – I, I, I read the first couple issues of Vibe, and it didn't grab me. But then that's before Sterling Gates took over, and everyone keeps telling us it's good. So I went ahead and picked up a bunch of the Ster- uh, Vibe back issues recently, and I'm going to check those out. So good comic. Highly recommend. Killer Frost number one. Check it out, folks, even if you're not a matchup. And we're going to take a break, yes, right? we're going to play some more uh, Super Friends uh, safety lessons, just because I've missed them. We haven't, done a, we haven't done a fire and water proper <laughs> show in a while. So we're going to play a couple of those so you can all learn something. Don't pet strange dogs or things like that. And don't go swimming in, or with strangers or whatever. I don't know whatever Aquaman's going to teach us here in this next one. So uh, enjoy these. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Baltimore Comic Con and Black Manta number one. Safety is important in any swimming area. Help! What happened? Breathe in a little water. I'll show you how to help him. Put him in a sitting position and get his head below his knees. That helps him cough out the water he breathed in. Glad you were here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Aquaman. Glad to be of help. But remember, only fish breathe underwater. Unless you happen to be Aquaman. Superman didn't even see that broken sidewalk. Because you were riding double, breaking an important bicycle safety rule. My teacher was talking about bike safety, about staying off the sidewalks and riding with the flow of traffic. And walking your bike across intersections. Uh Uh-huh, and signals for right turns and left turns. Rules you should practice. We will, promise. And we're back from our first break, and we are now jumping into another Villains Month book. 
And I don't know about you, I got my 3D cover again. I'm probably wrecking the value of the book by doing that, but whatever. Uh, this is Aquaman. Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas. Uh, number 23.1. Black Manta, number one. Take it away, Rob. Um, yeah, okay. I really didn't like this comic too much. So <laughs> <laughs> what do you sugarcoat it, Rob? Really? Well, I, that is me sugarcoating it. Uh, I'm not, not going to get too far into it. It's The title is Sea Change. It's by Jeff Johns and Tony Bedard. Uh, the art is by Claude St. Aubin. The colors are by Blonde, uh, <laughs> whoever that is. And uh, the cover was by Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons, and Rod Reese, of course. Um, okay. I don't have any problem with the general idea here of like that the crime syndicate are sort of the bad guys, bad guys. Like they're even worse than our regular Earth's bad guys. And they come in and are going to come in and and take over the place. I I like that idea. And I like the idea of them being so um, uncaring about what goes on in this world that they end up pissing off Black Mana and turning Black Mana against them, which is basically the end of this book. But I just – I mean, first of all, after the year and a half of Merc and the other guys <laughs> walking slowly, practically on their knees. It's, get, like it's like Fellowship of the Ring. It is, it is like Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. To get to the surface of the earth to free Ocean Master, they never get to do it. Ocean Master gets freed by these other guys. And he oh, just, my gosh. I didn't even think about that. He just walks out of the prison. So we had to watch We had to watch Merc talk on and on and on and on about, I got our free Ocean Master, and then it really gets to do it. Well, so, now, to be fair, we haven't read Ocean Master number one, which comes out in a week or two. Right. Maybe, it, maybe Merc's in that one. Right. But we see here in this comic, Ocean Master is not freed by Merc. Well, here's the thing. You, again, you haven't read Forever Evil number one, have you? No. Okay. I will tell you, and the listeners at home can disagree, but I would say 70% of this comic is simply reprinting Forever Evil, number one. Wonderful. Like, seriously. uh, It's really just lifted right out of there. There is probably, I don't know, I mean, for my money, I would say there's maybe four pages of new stuff in this. (laughs) That's That's well worth the $3.99. I'm sure people are going to argue and say no, and, and, and it's forever evil from Black Mana's perspective. But anyway, the point I'm making is that, at least in Jeff Johns' books, he's trying to show us the other side of forever evil number one. So it could be when we read Ocean Master, it's going to be the same story, but Merc will be in there somehow. Right. And I would argue that this story is not so compelling that it really can withstand being told from multiple angles. Uh, I think you have to have a really good story. This isn't Rashomon over here. This is friggin' Black Mana. Let's calm down a little. I mean, this isn't it. So, I mean, I like the idea that that uh, that Ultraman, just because he doesn't like the sun blaring at him because it makes him weak and stuff, he pushes the moon in front of the sun, and of course, which completely destroys parts of the Earth because he messes up the tides. I love the idea that he didn't even think about that, that he's just a giant lunkhead. Like, I do enjoy that, and that is sort of keeping in consistent with the Ultraman character, even back from the 60s, that Ultraman, even though he's the Superman of this of the crime syndicate, he is kind of a doofus. Um, so I enjoyed that. And except I, I, I like the idea that they turn Manta against them. Um, I just, I don't know. I just I just feel like that these, these conceits are thin and to build an entire, you know, month-long, you know, story-wide, company-wide arc over it is just pretty thin gruel uh over uh, you know and 
And like I mentioned too, and this is just my personal thing. Some people disagree. I, I just don't like really bloody violence in superhero comics. I just don't. And you know, <laughs> well, the, the cover is definitely. I mean, the blood, right? The cover. I mean, you get floating blood, uh, or as Little Russell Burbage put on, he's like, hey, "Why is there why is there a donut jelly floating on the floating on the cover?" <laughs> but I mean, Black Mana slashes a guy's neck, and we see it. You know, we see it happen. It just it just doesn't appeal to me. It puts me. He off. does he does it with a coin. It doesn't make any sense. Right, what, yeah. It just doesn't appeal to me. You know what I mean? And it's like I can sort of stamp my feet all I want, but it just doesn't do much for me. Um, so, but like I said, the idea of the crime syndicate coming in and being like, Hey, we're the baddies of the bad. And we're going to like basically run things like, and you're all going to fall in line. And then of course it makes these villains, the heroes, because then they have to fight against, I don't know if I want black mana to be sympathetic at this point. You know, I mean, black man is a really bad guy. He's a merciless killer. He's maybe a little less of a merciless killer than the crime syndicate. So, you know, oh, yay. I mean, I guess. (laughs) I mean, you know, so it's like Black Mana in Breaking Good, I guess, or something like that. So I I just don't, you know, like I said, I'm not going to get too negative on it. I I just, I read it. I was like, shrugged. Okay. Um, I am looking forward to Ocean Master because that's going to have art by Geraldo Borges, who is really talented. And I'm looking forward to see what, what that's about. But I am really even more eager to get back to Aquaman. So I'm very much looking forward to next month and the return of the Aquaman title proper. So, And I realize I didn't do a story recap of the book, but you all just have to live with that. Well, they all read Forever Evil, so they don't need it. Exactly. Now, I, I'm kind of right, – well, first of all, I'm, I, I was also disappointed with this issue. Again, primarily because, like I said, 70% I would say I'd already read. And this is a technique Jeff Johns used before, and it gets on my nerves. Uh, he did this with Vibe. The first couple issues of Vibe, we would see a page or two that was directly lifted out of the Justice League book, Justice League of America book, with Vibe. So you'd see that same scene from Justice League of America in the Vibe book. But it was only one or two pages. So I just kind of like, ugh. You know, I jokingly say I want, you know, 25 cents back or something. Here, I feel like I want like three of my four dollars back. You know, because it's kind of like, I've I've read all this already. But I do sort of like the idea of the villains having to defend the Earth. Simply because DC's villains have always been, I don't know, they, they, they lack the oomph of the Marvel villains. And every once in a while, they'll, DC will do something that, as a, as a line-wide thing, that really helps their villains, like Underworld Unleashed, and you could argue the merits of it, but I think it, you know, it at least tried to raise the profile of the villains. Uh, Salvation Run tried to raise the profile of the villains. This is going to raise the profile of the villains. So I think that's good, because a lot of DC's villains get laughed at. I mean, Black Mana outside of people that read Aquaman think he's a joke, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe this will, I don't know, give him a little more street cred or something. I don't know. So I don't know. Um, the cover, other than the blood, I, I thought the 3D effect was actually pretty nice. It was well done. The story, like, I, I feel like it's also really thin. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know about the people at home. I personally have never had my father's grave ripped open by a tidal wave, so I don't know how I'd feel about it. <laughs> But I don't know if it would make me hate the crime syndicate with every fiber of my being. Like, it immediately replaced his hate for Aquaman with his hate for the crime syndicate. Yeah, it took like two seconds. Yeah. Right. It just felt a little, I don't know, uh, contrived. And again, I haven't lost my father this way. Maybe I'd feel differently if I did. I don't know. Not too many tidal waves wipe out graves that I know of. So. Anyway, so it just felt a little too pat, a little too neat, a little bit to like, oh, that's how you're going to get Black Mana to give a crap. Okay. 
So, I was, I was like, I just kind of like, nah. So I wasn't real happy with it. Right. I went and read uh, Deadshot and was happy with that. Instead. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I'm going to keep to my word and not going to spend too much time on this. So I'm going to talk about something that was a lot more fun, uh, which is, in this case, the Baltimore Comic-Con. Um, I attended the Baltimore Comic Con, which is a load of fun. It is quickly, I didn't just say quickly, it has become my favorite Comic Con to do. Partly because Baltimore is a fun city to visit. Um, it's, you know, like just far enough away that, like, I have to go stay overnight, which makes it kind of a fun trip, and but close enough that it's not like the drive isn't like this killer drive either. Um, the, the, it's an exceedingly well run convention. I mean, I send an email to this guy at the Baltimore Comic Con and say, Hey, can I get a press pass this year? And you get an email five minutes later. Sure, Rob, there you go. You know, like, <laughs> great. And, nice. and more than anything else, it's about comic books. I mean, the big stars of this convention are comic book people. They're not cast members from, you know, some old TV show or Playboy Bunnies or, file, you know, former child stars gone to seed. It's comic book people, you know, and that to me is what it's about. And as we see, each Comic-Con kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger and become less about the comics to where San Diego Comic-Con is, you know, basically just like the Con Film Festival, but for geeks. The New York Comic-Con is completely blown up and become not about that. Baltimore, so far, has retained its comic booky roots, and I hope that that never changes. Um, it's expanding from two days to three days next year, which makes me a little scared. <laughs> it's starting to get a little, little big. But, you know, hey, if they can keep running it as well as they were running it, then it's great. And, you know, um, I had an enormous amount of fun. I shared a table with my pal Doug Slack, who I've known since junior high. And um, I got to see – first of all, I got to meet a bunch of phone member slash match heads that I never got – never got really? in person before. Yes. Um, Sean Myers stopped by, who has been a longtime phone member, which is, which is fantastic. That's a um, is that Warren's dad? No, that's a different that's a different Sean. Um, oh, whoops, my bad. Okay, yeah. Um, there was I got to meet Tom Panaris, who of course hosted oh, really? Taking Flight. Yes, he was, not, and Tom was uh, kind enough to invite me on to his other podcast, not Taking Flight, another one to talk about. Hey, kids! I just recorded that, so that was a lot of fun. Um, Very. Oh, Tom, a great podcaster. Yes, uh, Randy Caldwell was there, Mister Perturbed. Woo! Right there, um, I got to take funny pictures again with Joe Prado and Rod Reese which is always a lot of fun. Um, I will say this about um, the comments that the match heads made to me, is that I am starting to feel as though, and, you know, I'm sorry, this is going to be a Simpsons reference, but that the Who's Who show has become, well, let me let me reverse engineer that. The Fire and Water podcast has become the redheaded stepchild compared to the Who's Who podcast. Because <laughs> you know, the, the Fire and Water network, the true stars Who's Who? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's like, you know, like technically The Simpsons is a spinoff. That's is, true. It is a spinoff of The Tracy Ullman Show. Nobody remembers The Tracy Ullman Show because <laughs> The Simpsons became this sort of cultural juggernaut. I feel like we have spawned something in Who's Who because all anybody told me about or asked me about was Who's Who. Really? Not so much Fire and Water. I mean, they were complimentary. People were like, oh, I love the podcast. But they were like, they almost to a, to a person said, um... I, oh, I love the Fire and Water podcast, but I really love the Who's Who shows. Oh, that's great. And they were like, when do you, you know, are you really going to do Who's Who and Legion, Who's Who and Star Trek? I was like, yeah, 2018, look for it. So um, <laughs> that, that was that was a lot of fun. So um, in addition in addition to hanging out with, with Joe and, and Ivan, 
Um, I got to give out foam member pins. I made little foam member pins for a bunch of people, and I gave them out, and, and everybody wore them proudly. I got to have lunch with Paul Kupperberg, which was great. He took me around, and we walked. He took me around the con floor and just basically introduced me to everyone he knows. Oh my god! And he knows everybody. Oh sure, of um, course he does. So, like at one point, he introduced me to Michael Golden. Michael effing golden oh my god yes who's you know like a friggin' genius and so he's talking to michael and he's like hey mike uh this is my friend rob kelly and uh and he goes my rob this is mike i'm like i know who this is paul (laughs) um and it's great watching those two because they have such a history together that at one point when michael golden just didn't want to talk to paul anymore he's like yeah you can leave (laughs) which is fantastic Uh, i probably would have lost my cool i'd have been like would you draw acro year or bug from the micronauts on oh, my arm, I mean, please? Yeah, I, and then my, go immediately to a tattoo shop. My dream would be to get an Ace Kilroy sketch by Michael Golden. How friggin' awesome would that oh, be? That'd I be couldn't. I didn't want to do that to him, just me. But if I if I meet him next year, I might have to hit him up. For, oh yeah. Um, but but I got to meet uh, Tim Truman, who went to Cubert. I never actually. Wow. I actually, I've never actually met Tim in person. I've sort of talked to him, sort of through mutual friends kind of in a weird way, but I actually got to talk to him directly and we talked about both going to the Cubert school. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Paris Collins was supposed to be there, but every time I stopped by his table, he was not there, which was frustrated the hell out of me because I wanted to go get him some who's who to sign, but. Oh, hell to the, yeah. Yeah. I never saw him. I never got to see him. Um, I get, I got to say hi to J.M. Demetrius and I saw Bob Greenberger and, uh, you know, and we talked about, Hey kids a little bit and, and, it was just a load. That's, uh, that's Hey Kids Comics, True, hey, true Life Tales from the Spinner Rack, Rack available, on on Amazon, right. Am- available on Amazon and CreateSpace. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good plug. Um, so it was it was a real load of fun. And oh, oh and uh, between um, the Saturday and the Sunday, me and Doug and some of his friends that he knows in Baltimore went out uh, for a pub crawl. And so I drank a bunch. And I woke up around 3 in the morning and I'm like, what's this weird feeling I have? Oh, that's it. I'm hungover. <laughs> I hadn't experienced that in a long time. Did you blow chunks? Uh, I did not. I, I didn't get that. Well well done, sir. Yeah, I didn't get that hammered. But I did have a, a beer called Black Dog, which I pounded quite a few of them back. They were really, really quite good. Um, <laughs> so I gave out a bunch of foam, foam member pins, which people really seem to enjoy. Um, it was uh, a load of fun. It really was a load of fun, and I can't wait to do it next year. I am hoping that next year I will be there with Hey Kids Comics and, mm. and actually have, like, a table for it and everything else because uh, now that the book is out and sort of, you know, people are getting uh, – noticing it, things like that. So uh, it was, it was like I said, it was just a blast, and I, I, I will do the Baltimore Comic Con every year now. I am set. Uh, this year's New York, I'm not sure if I'm doing any days at, at the New York Comic Con at all. I've sort of phased that out, but, but Baltimore is, is on my agenda. And they've already posted the dates for next mm. year's show. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm going to go into work tomorrow and schedule those dates off because I'm already, like, I, I'm doing it. I'm doing that show. So uh, if you've never been to the Baltimore Comic Con and you can make it, um, give it a shot because it is, it is very fun and upbeat. And there was a ton of great cosplay. I, I took a ton of pictures. You can see it on the Aquaman shrine. Um, I think my favorite cosplay, I mean, I saw Aquaman. There was an Aquaman Amira there, and there was another guy dressed as Aquaman. But I saw a guy dressed as Indiana Jones that it was, like, right out of the movie and even had the idol with him and everything. I lo- that was, like, my favorite cosplay. I was like, Indy! And he just stood there with the whip. It was great. So um, <laughs> we, we had, a, we had, a, we had a, really, a really good time. Awesome. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I, uh, 
I had to skip my convention this year. I did not go to Dragon Con. Some right. of you may have picked up on that if you didn't know, and uh, it's breaking my heart. So I love hearing other people's con stories right now. Yeah, yeah, it was good, it was good stuff. And, and like I said, I was disappointed. I was planning to have Hey Kids Comics, but something prevented that, so that was a little frustrating. But you know, like I said, hopefully next year I'll have my table there. And um, I was talking to um, actually when I was talking to Tom Panneries. He had this idea that he said he wanted to get every person who wrote a story in Hankett's Comics to sign the book. And oh, so cool. And find all these people, which I would love. I would love if you could do that. So next, maybe next year we'll have Paul there again and Bob and J.M. Demetay so you can start your collection off on the, on the right foot. You'll have like four or five of us all in the same place. So that would be super cool. Well, if anybody wants uh, – I probably shouldn't make this offer on the air. Don't don't really take me up on it. Check with me first. But if anybody wants Erica Peterman to sign their copy, uh, you can send it to Firestorm Fan Headquarters. Oh, that's right. Go, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to lunch with her next week. I'm going to bring my copy and get her to sign it. So. <laughs> Fantastic. So. Um, so, okay. Well, so we are going to take actually a second break, and when we come back, we are going to do listener feedback, the, the much-requested listener feedback. So – uh, enjoy more of these little uh, Super Friends lessons, and then we'll come back and we'll hear your thoughts about the last couple episodes. The, the reason we're really taking a break, Rob's got a bladder like a like a thimble. It's just crazy. We'll see you in a minute. What blew the fuse, Batman? Too many machines plugged into the same electrical circuit, Robin. Often, too many lamps and other electrical appliances are plugged into the same outlet. This can overload the circuit and cause a fire. Also, we should always make sure electrical wires are in top condition. Frayed cords or loose plugs are dangerous shock hazards. By following common sense rules about electricity, we can make our lives a lot safer, Robin. Hey, this is Serena Irwin, the voice of Mira, and you're listening to the Fire and Water Podcast. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And we're going to handle listener feedback a little bit differently than in previous episodes. We're not just going to... You know, do everybody that we heard from in every corner of the universe. What what we did was we sort of focused in. Since this is our what we what at least Rob and I refer to off air, we call it the review episodes, which is where we review the new issues. This is our review episode. So we're going to actually touch on feedback from the last review episode, which was the issue where we talked about Aquaman number twenty-two. I'm sorry, Aquaman number twenty-three. Sorry about that. Yeah, Aquaman number twenty-three, Justice League number twenty-three, which is the end of Trinity War. And, and we talked about Fury of Firestorm Classic, uh, number three, yep. which was a Killer Frost story. So that's the kind of feedback we're going to cover. Fresh right out of the gate, we heard from Ryan Daly, our buddy Count Druncula, over on Firestorm Fan. And he mentioned spoilers for Justice League number 23. You're right, Shag. The new crime syndicate Deathstorm doesn't sound anything like the 90s extreme Q-Wool Deathstorm from Blackest Night and Brightest Day. In fact, to me, he doesn't sound like a teenager. I think this parallel universe take on Firestorm is more Professor Stein than Ronnie or Jason. What do you think of that? Well, uh, Count Drunkula, I think you're dead on right because I've read it in an article. In fact, you're dead on right. There was an interview with Jeff Johns where he revealed that Deathstorm is actually a comp- composition of Professor Martin Stein from Earth-3 and his lab assistant, which i got to assume is Dalton Black or Dan Black, depending on which pronunciation of the name they go with. So, pretty cool so far. I'm interested to see what's going on with Deathstorm. I hope it uh, continues to be interesting. Okay. I would love it if somehow Firestorm ever became uh, Doreen Day. That would be really funny. 
What? But <laughs> I'll have just to see what you would do. Well, I uh, will tell you this. Jeff Johns wrote a proposal back in, I think it was either the 90s or the early 20s. He wrote a, a pitch for Firestorm. And uh, no kidding. And it was about Ronnie Raymond merging with his girlfriend. And I don't know if it, that's all I've ever heard. It was about a guy and girl, boyfriend, girlfriend stuck as Firestorm. Because that creates a lot more drama, he felt like. <laughs> I, I never knew if that girlfriend was going to be Doreen Day or some other girlfriend. But if it was Doreen Day, I would probably would have to just, I don't know, go ballistic and lose my mind. Firestorm, the nuclear tran. Uh, oh, we got, God. <laughs> uh, we got a comment on Firestorm from, from Ange, our friend Ange. And he writes, Rob's talk of mountain comics as being his time of joy resonated with me. Because my joy is a group of comics, really a time period of comics, that I call beach comics. In the late 70s, the sad days of my youth, we used to spend summers in a cottage near the beach. There was little to no TV signal, so there was so time was spent either reading or hanging out. I was an early reader, and there was a convenience store within walking distance, and so people used to get me comics all the time. But more than that, my family used to go to yard sales and flea markets. I used to pick up comics by the bundle for pennies back then. <laughs> and at yard sales, the books were more from the early to mid-70s. As a result, that time period for DC is sort of my sweet spot. Cockrum, Gell, Cockrum Grell era Legion in particular, but also Superman, Batman, Brave and the Bold, etc. I find myself thumbing through those issues at conventions these days. I would say another time with Joy would be the early 80s, back when I started buying books monthly as opposed to randomly buying whatever cover struck me. Firestorm was one of my first books like that, and Woo-hoo! I remember these Fury of books vividly. For me, the upcoming Ahina storyline is one that stuck with me the most. Oh, it's so good. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I love stories like that. Thank you, Ange. I said I, I, I would love to hear... Uh, from all those stories, you know, I've been I, I've been buying more of the mountain comics. I just went to eBay the other day and bought a couple more, and it's it's been fun zipping through those covers and going, "Wow, I remember I had that one." Like you know, what I bought an issue of Dazzler. That's how desperate I was for comics up then. I bought a free <laughs> issue of Dazzler, and I just went and bought it again for two dollars. So you know, uh, so yeah, I, I thanks for that story, engine. And if if anyone out there listening has has a story like that, send it in. You know, it'd be fun to pick up a bunch of old. Um like Sad Sack and stuff like that, because those were probably some of the first, you know, non-superhero comic stuff I was reading mm-hmm. as a kid, little mm-hmm. kid. So that might be fun to find. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Next letter comes from Siskoid, who I guess now is officially part of the Fire and Water family of podcasters with the Hero Point show. Absolutely. All right, here you go. Comment on Firestorm fan. Like Shag, I really enjoyed the Peter David run, so that it's another reason not to be reading the Trinity War stuff. Also, it's always a waste when characters are killed off like that. Now, just so you know, folks, he's talking about the, the, the Sea King, which is the Earth-3 equivalent of Aquaman, who was killed in Justice League number 23. We talked about it last time. So we <laughs> thought he was killed. Well, and that's what I'm going to talk about in a minute. Right, okay. thanks, for stealing my th- thanks for stealing my thunder. You're anyway, welcome. back into it. Uh, anyway, it's always a waste when characters are killed off like that. This one, before he could even be involved in the story. Lame. I would support a retro episode on Pirate Aquaman. Lots of good memories of that run. If you don't care too much about the issue's number synchronization, why not do a Fury of Firestorm with that retro Aquaman piece? The Frozen City in, Fire, in Firestorm number three will always remind me of the first episode of Challenge of the Super Friends, the Legion of Doom season, which starts with Captain Nicole icing the entire Earth in a matter of minutes. The cities look just like that. I believe the solution was for a Green Lantern to push the Earth closer to the sun or something. I can't believe we survived that. Then he goes on talking about um, Fury of Firestorm number three, where Ed Raymond slaps Ronnie Raymond across the face. As punishment, anyway, he goes, appropriate punishment for 1981? I wouldn't call it appropriate, but as a child of the 70s, I can certainly attest to some corporal punishment going on there. Ronnie's older than I, so I can definitely believe his dad used such a discipline as if he started raising him in the 1960s. A slap is actually pretty soft. 
all things considered. It's made more violent by Mr. Raymond's expression. But if my dad, a liberal-minded doctor, thought it was appropriate to use wooden spoons on our tushies and rubber straps on the back of our hands in the early 70s until his second younger wife put a stop to that when they had a child, yes, then this is accurate, although not necessarily appropriate representation. It's good drama and a great spin on the Spider-Man archetype. Raymond is no Uncle Ben. <laughs> um, yeah, there's actually we got a lot of feedback on this because I had – I kind of like took a moment to digress and talk about whether slapping your kid in the face is necessarily the right kind of punishment because the, the focus in the story, like it, it, he slapped Ronnie across the face and then Ronnie got ticked off, not because his dad slapped him across the face, but just because his dad was on his case. So there's kind of a whole, how much is punishment for kids changed since then? And there's a lot of comments on this and I'm going to read them as we go through here. But I do want to say like, after we conclude this show, I don't necessarily want us to keep going back revisiting this issue just because punishing your child is a very personal thing. And it's sort of like religion and politics. It's like no one's going to agree on what the right appropriate level of punishment for your child or for someone else's child is. So, again, I'm going to read the comments. Totally down with it. I'll share some thoughts. But I, I don't want this to become a recurring, like, Composite Superman thing, folks. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> I, and I think I was the one who even brought it up because I was just more remarking that just the way Pat Broderick draws people – when he draws somebody who looks mad, they look really mad. And that's just the way yeah. he draws. It's it's like Jim Apparel. When Jim Apparel would draw somebody punching somebody else, it looked like it had the the, the power of a jackhammer. You know, it's just the way he drew. I mean, when I used to see Batman, he would like punch somebody in the jaw, and it looked like you know their their entire face was going to fly off. It was just it was just the way Apparel drew. It wasn't necessarily any worse than anybody else. It just was something about. Just the, the, the his line work. So that was really what I was remarking on was that I think that scene drawn by, let's say, Al Milgram wouldn't have been distinctive to me. But it was drawn by Pat Broderick, so it just looked like, oof, whoa. <laughs> it looked really intense. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to relate to what Cisco said. Yeah, wooden spoons, very commonplace in my house growing up. So I, I think um, – I'll just put out there, corporal punishment, when it's used appropriately and not in anger but as a, re- a result of an action, you know, a logical progression of punishment, and I think it can be effective, you know. It certainly uh, made me straighten up growing up, so. All right, next comment from Kyle Benning over on Firestorm Fan. Great episode, guys. Thanks for the brief Trinity War recap. It's good to know I didn't miss anything by skipping on it, out on it. I think I'm starting to miss the listener feedback as every episode kind of thing. There you go, Kyle. This is our present to you. As for the discipline, I think the current style of non-displaying children isn't working. Every time I go to a restaurant to eat, my dining experience is interrupted by some mouthy brat screaming at their parents. I can't help but think that if their ass was getting smacked at home every once in a while, they wouldn't carry on like that in public. It would show their parents and the people around them a little bit of respect. I was on the receiving end of many spankings as a child, and I deserved every one of them. Looking back at some of the people I went to high school with who had less discipline at home compared to me and where they ended up at this point in their life, Let's just say I'm grateful my parents disciplined me when I was, when I was quote, cruising for a bruising, as my mom liked to put it, and gave me a spanking I deserve when misbehaving. In the end, I think it's definitely had a positive impact on how I turned out. I also ate a lot of soap over the years. That being said, I think Mr. Raymond's slap may have been a little out of line. I mean, honestly, what kind of guy slaps another guy? A man slapping another guy is only appropriate if it's followed up by a duel to the death with pistols. <laughs> I agree. I don't think a slap to the face is appropriate at all, especially since Ed did do it in anger. You know, Ed was ticked off. So, yeah, that was that was not a, that was out of line itself. But uh, Ron was probably a little too big to put over his knee with a wooden spoon either, too. So now uh, I forgot to mention you started to mention earlier about the Sea King. So we comment. I, I ranted and raved about them killing the Sea King 
Well, as Rob just alluded to, the cover for Justice League Dark number 26 has been solicited, and lo and behold, the Sea King is on the cover. And it even says in the description that the Sea King escaped death. So maybe my judgment of Jeff Jones is a little, <laughs> little uh, preliminary or a little too uh, early. We'll have to see what they do with that. I'm interested to read it. I hope they treat this speaking with respect rather than him being, you know, another Peter David joke. We got a letter from Benton Gray over at Firestorm Fan. Uh, he mentions, as for the current episode, once again, I had to skip the review of Aquaman as I wait interminably for my books, but I listened with interest to the JLA recap as I have already given up on that book. Once again, DC has utterly lost me as a customer, save Aquaman, which, uh, holds, which I hold on to only because of my love of the character. On the subject of Peter David's Aquaman, I have to say that I'm much more in Rob's camp, as my comments may have indicated. Wishing a brutal and grisly death on the avatar of that era likely makes me makes my feelings a bit too subtle to, easy, to be easily read, though, though I'll admit. My feelings about the book are similar to my thoughts on the death of Prince. Whatever merits the stories may have, they are of a fevered strength, ultimately destructive to the character and his persona. The art and writing in the Pad Tales is of an equal quality, execrable, and it's painfully 90s tones. The writing is juvenile and the character's flat, and not in an endearing or at least encouraging manner as the Bronze Age manages at its weaker moments, but repugnant. The signal note of Aquaman and his supporting cast is discordant and shrill. I, of course, am indulging in hyperbole, and the run did certainly raise Aquaman's profile, but I maintain that in the end, it was a net loss for the Sea King. In the final analysis, I dislike that run, not so much for its own worth or lack thereof, but for its impact on the character in the larger scope of things. The specter of the obnoxious aquatic rageaholic of Pad's tenure would continue to haunt Aquaman for decades, and only now has he begun to really escape it. I say let, John's, let Jeff Johns dance upon the corpse of that run all he likes. He can do it no, greater, no graver disservice than the stories themselves did to their subject. Oof. Man, I tell you, like, I don't agree with what he's saying. But I could listen to or read a Benton Gray thing any, uh, all day long. He's <laughs> such a good writer. Great, great feedback. I mean, you're completely wrong. Great feedback, man. Benton ran over that topic and then salted the earth behind him, man. That is powerful <laughs> stuff. Um, thank, you, thank you for that email, Ben. That is, again, as Shake said, that was very well put and probably better than I've ever been able to express about so why I'm not a fan of that, that round of Aquaman. Um, we got a. And, and, and all kidding aside, I mean, it was a very fair, well structured. You know, thing there. Yeah. So I was going to jump in here a little bit of what he said, okay. too. He goes on, he goes, in terms of the appropriateness of Mr. Raymond's action, I don't think slapping a child was ever according to Hoyle. One of the keys to a corporal punishment is that it be divorced from emotion. Whipping a child with a belt or, or the like out of anger is a recipe for abuse. Physically striking a child out of anger is just straight up terrible. My parents disciplined me, but it was always really clear why it was done and as, and as a necessity, not an emotional reaction, which upon reflection seems important. And I totally agree with that. That's what I was saying earlier about, you know, striking in anger is bad plan. But, you know, if it's appropriate and the child oh, understands. Oh, dear Lord, this topic is making me long for composite Superman talk. All right, all right. Next up, uh, next up, Ben clearly proves that he doesn't listen to the show well enough because he says, shag, shag, shag. Really? Symbology? Come on, man. Symbolism. There's no such thing as symbology. <laughs> clearly, Ben has not listened to me completely slaughter the English language for the last 70-something weeks <laughs> um 
I really like these classic Firestorm reviews. I'm definitely going to pick these books up one of these days. This issue in particular sounded really good, other than the incongruity of Killer Frost magically freezing all of New York. I hate things like that. At least give me a line of dialogue explaining why this character can do something that seems so beyond her established abilities. In fact, all of DC's goodness of this podcast is making me more and more antsy to pick up my DC mod. When I do, I'll definitely going to create a Firestorm campaign, or at least an Aquaman Firestorm team-up series. Obviously, I'll need a Killer Frost in there somewhere. But let me ask you a question, Shag. If you could tell a three-to-five-issue three classic Firestorm story, what would it look like? I've got extensive notes for most of the characters I'm going to tell stories about, but I don't have anything ready for Firestorm, and I'd rather like to pick your brain. Just very quickly, I, I, I've thought about this. I don't have a really good thing fleshed out, but it would be, let, let's say it's just three issues, just for the sake of that. Three issues... Each story should be an individual one-and-done story because that's sort of your classic Jerry Conway system is a one, either a one-and-done or a two-issue arc. But let's just say one-and-done. Each one should feature a major villain of Firestorm. I would say give it a multiplex up issue, uh, maybe a, high, a hyena issue and a typhoon issue is what I would do. And it wouldn't just be stopping a bank robbery kind of thing. It would be tied to the character. For example, Typhoon would be doing something probably to get to his kids because he was a single father who wanted to get back to his kids. You know, Hyena would be out of control and attacking police or even her father or something. Multiplex would be maybe in so desperate a need of energy that he can't stop himself from, you know, attacking a nuclear reactor or whatever. But it would be more of the tragic sort of side of the characters where you almost feel sorry for him. But the continuing theme through the three issues would be some sort of strife between Ronnie Raymond and Professor Martinstein, where they have some ideological issue that they cannot agree upon, and it's affecting their performance as Firestorm. There you go. That's what I do. Uh, we got a comment on the Aquaman Shrine from Gene Hendricks. To answer the question raised this time, I am a fan of the Peter David Aquaman. That was the Woo-hoo! That was a series of Aquaman that introduced me to the character, and I have a nearly a complete run of that series. I'd love to see more coverage of the character on the Shrine and Fire and Water, but I wouldn't want anyone to cover a topic they aren't thrilled with. That's a very rational response. Got a comment from Anonymous. Come on, man. Man up. Who are you? So, uh, The Peter David era was by far the... Um, was by far the best and largest in scope until Jeff Johns started writing Aquaman. During the PAD, which by the way is an acronym for Peter something David, the, during the PAD era, the Aquaman universe got expanded like never before. The history got detailed in the excellent Atlantis Chronicles, Time and Tide, and the Annuals. Aquaman finally got an increased power level, matching his status as one of the big seven. Also, thank to Grant Morrison's definitive run on JLA, going up against characters like the Deep Six and Olympian in JLA Classified. All in all, although Johns' run will probably go down as the best run in Aquaman's history, Pad's run is still the best until that happens. I hope we see Sea King again because there's so much more potential for amazing stories and the design was flat out amazing. Finally, major props to Shag for standing up for the 90s Aquaman. Thanks, man. I thought I, thought I, I, thought I, des- I needed to do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got a comment from Count Drunkula again talking about Aquaman Shrine. He mentions that uh, the Dead King storyline doesn't include until number 25, which, as we now know, is Jeff Johns' final issue on the series. Can, can I just say something real quick? You mentioned Tom Panarese earlier. I was listening to the excellent Taking Flight, by the way, a Robin podcast by Tom Panarese, which you should absolutely listen to, folks. It's so good. And he was reading listener feedback, and he, wrote, he read on there one very intelligent letter by someone named Jag. And then he read a letter by someone named Count Druncula. Now, or actually, it was Ryan Daly. So... My thought is like now this is a this is a fairly decent letter, but most letters from Count Drunk to the border borderline to the Fire and Water podcast. I'm sorry, I'll get any one of those sentences finished in a second here. Most letters to the Fire and Water podcast from Count Druncula borderline on either um, insane, you know, insanity 
or openly hostile towards us. And yet Tom Paneris gets this nice flowery complimentary letter. And what the hell? Seriously? I'm I'm just saying. What up, Ryan? What up? And the cricket noise is perfect with that. Yes, perfect. Yeah, there's a cricket right <laughs> outside my door, so it is. That's added value, they call that. Uh, <laughs> Comment without going from Earth to Chris, uh, aka Chris Franklin, who I guess is also part of the Fire and Water family now, since he guessed it on the Power Water Power Records podcast. Yeah. Um, he brought. I bought uh, Peter David's Aquaman for several years, and I enjoyed the comic despite my misgivings with what he was doing with the character. I like David's work, but I often feel he goes out of his way to remake characters to fit his needs rather than just write compelling stories of the established version of that character. Having said all that, the folks behind the New 52 should not be throwing stones since they are living in a huge glass house. I predict <laughs> that in 10 to 20 years from now, much of this reboot will be even more maligned and laughed at than much of the 90s stuff. Aquaman is one of the few characters who hasn't been rebuilt into an edgier, angrier version of his former self. A good chunk of the DCU is barely recognizable to old fans, so poking fun at the 90s Aquaman constantly is in bad taste and just asking Karma to kick them in the rear down the road. <laughs> it's a very reasonable way to look at it, Chris. I, I'm afraid I've incensed everyone um, unfairly now that the Sea King's coming back. <laughs> I'm afraid I got everybody worked up for nothing. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what they do with the Sea King. That comes out, by the way, the Sea King issue of Justice League Dark comes out December 31st. Really? So, yeah. Is it December? Yeah. That far down the line? Wow. It's, uh, yeah, it's Justice League Dark number 20-something, 20 26, wow. I think. Oh, jeez. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a, another comment from Anonymous. I'm not sure. He said, considering Jeff John stated his favorite writer of Aquaman was Peter David, are we sure he's intentionally taking malicious shots at David's version of the Sea King? Maybe he just likes to reference it any chance he gets. It just comes off as poking fun. Could very well be. Could very well be. Uh, we also got comments from Blue Scream, where he uh, <laughs> he complains again about that we comment on issues before he gets a chance to get them. Blue Scream, <laughs> you got to move, dude. I don't know what else to tell you. You just got to move. <laughs> Is he another one of our New Zealanders, maybe? I think so. We got a comment from Diablo Frank. A very long comment. We're going to cherry pick some of my favorites here. Uh, topic uh, Point number three. Haven't you been reading the Villains Month books? No child of the New 52 can escape being orphaned, abused. Why would Rob wish that on Sugar and Spike? They could end up facing a zombie cabbage patch doll that eats other dolls on Christmas. How would that sit as a stocking stuffer? I did indicate <laughs> that I would like to see Sugar and Spike return to the uh, New 52. Uh, and in reference to Aqua Girl, he says, point five, no offense to Tula fans, but I'm all about reintroducing Lorena Marquez. Me too. I love Tula, but I would love to see Lorena come back. I think she'd be great. I don't have any particular passion for Tula other than she was hot. I just I never felt there was much of a character there. Maybe I'd feel different if I read the New Teen Titans. I don't know. So I'm all about bringing back Lorraine. She was great under Steve Skeets, though, I will say. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. yeah I really mm. that. Um, comment number seven. I was more behind Rhoda Panita than Ryan Choi, talking about the new Adam. But at least Atomica could turn up as a decent villain for the Tiny Titan, whoever might end up in that role, uh, who sorely needs a rogues gallery. That's pretty true. Uh, I like the temperature of Shag's resentment when he got into the John's dissing of Peter David. John's got applause for doing the exact same thing to Jared Stevens' fate, and he's done variations on that sort of Mortal Kombat fan pro finishing move since. Personally, I stopped buying monthly issues of the Peter David run early, and I agree with Rob about the unfortunate avenues that were explored during those years. I feel very much the same way about the Austin Germandrake Martian Manhunter series. However, those runs turned people onto the characters we do love, and each introduced concepts that were of value, so I think there's more constructive to explore the 
So I think it's more constructive to explore the good aspects than just burn it all in effigy. A lot of the new 52 feels like someone pissing on the loved one's grave, and it's off-putting to say the least. <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to mention, he does point nine. I also own the first issue of For Your Eyes Only. That was the James Bond adaptation that I mentioned as part of my Mountain <laughs> comic. Bought cheap at a flea market, and it was lame. The one I loved was the adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is real, actually really very good. We cherish those early books, perusing and rereading them so often that they imprint permanently on our young minds. I've heard that the first time on heroin is an incomparable orgiastic experience that junkies try in vain to recreate, with consistently diminishing results. It's called Chasing the Dragon. Comic collecting is a lot like that, with good, newer books being better product, a higher grade, but it's never quite the same, is it? That's true. That's a really good analogy. Very true. Um, and that's kind of why we're finding, you know, a lot of us are trying to find our joy. We're trying to go back to that uh, original heroin. Yeah, I don't like that. But um, anyway, but, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's still a good analogy. Yeah, and that's why I never try to disabuse anybody about, like, I don't really like the Peter David Aquaman, but I'd never try to talk somebody out of it because to a lot of people that was their first Aquaman, and that's going to be the one you love, the first one you discover. It's just yep. the way it's going to be. Uh, we got a you know, email from uh, DC Dill, a.k.a. Chuck Dill, a.k.a. Aqua's DCD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I apologize for not commenting on the podcast before I feel like I've been late in playing catch up But I have to say that the thread of finding your joy Has really stuck a chord, struck a chord with me I've been leading away from today's comics And went more and more into comics from the past And I truly enjoy the reviews of the classic Firestorm In fact, it makes me wish we could start reviewing Some classic Aquaman comics Maybe starting with Apera At any rate, I have to say I've been, lo- I've been loving a reread of old JLA a re- Loving a reread of old 1960s JLA comics and the only reason I could find could find to pull wait, and the only reason I could find to pull me out of that <laughs> to read the current Trinity story was to stay current with this podcast. Excellent job, Robin Jack. Please keep up. Thanks, DC. Thanks, DC. I appreciate it. Awesome. By the way, he's all up on Instagram. I'm just saying. Well, on, good on you, man. Uh, I gotta get you. Well, you know, I, I told you a couple weeks ago I was trying on Instagram, mm-hmm. and uh, he's one of my most staunch um, likers or whatever you call it when people like stuff. So I appreciate it. So. All right, we got a letter from Jack Dower. Of course we got a letter from Jack Dower. <laughs> Ahoy, Fleet Commanders. Aquaman, I have finally read all of Peter David's runs. Skipper is right. Marcus is much a type of Peter David Aquaman as Lady Gaga is based on the Gorgons of myth. Journey War, I do not suffer from event fatigue, but I completely understand those who do. Almost all my friends do. Here's my argument for Trinity War and Forever Evil. I am enjoying these event stories so far, but I think they're a natural progression of what's been building in the DC New 52 universe since Flashpoint. What do you think about that idea? Mm, no. <laughs> right. uh, on the, <laughs> keep in mind, these are, these are scribblings of a madman, folks. Anyway, uh, on the Peter David Aquaman run, I loved it. In my opinion, it was as good as the seminal, his seminal Hulk run. I respect but do not understand what Commander Kelly's problems are with it. I support his right to, be, to, de, to de-emphasize it on his own blog. Frankly, I think he's more respectful to it than DC has been recently. I, too, am sick of being of it being put down and do not understand why I could not get the whole thing on the DC app. It was successful. They should put the whole thing on sale digitally, just not at the expense of Aquaman Rob likes. There's room for both on my iPad. I agree with that. Fire, Firestorm Classic. Another hot-button issue for me is that Classic Firestorm is not yet released on the DC app. Two issues in the 50s is not what I call a release. It makes me wonder if Conrad Filber is deciding which of DC's library to get the digital treatment. Due to Shag's passionate coverage, I am scouring the 50-cent bins to find them. As far as Shag's question on Doreen Day, she sounds to me like she competes with the Human Torch's old flame, Dory Evans, for the character you would like most like to see set a flame award. 
As always, Jack gives us questions, uh, which are great. I'm going to read both of them, and then we'll get to them. Here's my question for Commander Kelly. How would you bring Sugar and Spike back into the DC's New 52 universe? What team would you put them on? And for Skipper Shag, I love Trinity War. What do you think? Do you think that the Firestorm title would have been even more successful if it came from that event, such more like Suicide Squad was launched from the Great Legend miniseries? Hmm. Like he put great in all caps, by the way. Yes, he did, because we had a big debate about Legends. And uh, you know what? We may talk about Legends in an upcoming episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got, I got some thoughts. So, Rob, how would you bring Sugar and Spike back? That's easy. That, most of the time, uh, Jack's questions really strike he really throw me for a loop, but this one's easy. I would simply hand it over to Franco and Art Baltazar to do. That's easy. Uh, And I would make it very clear that it is not part of the New 52. The way DC publishes Scooby-Doo and those a couple other children's books, I would just hand them Sugar and Spike. Here you go. Just do just – Sugar and Spike was a great concept, a great comic, and uh, Franco and Baltazar could – do it justice. So that's what I would do. I would just hand the book to them. I would say there will never be a new 52 moniker on this book's cover ever. I don't want, to, I don't want sugar and spike dragged into villains month. So, uh, but that's what I would do. That's, that's easy. I'd have them join justice league dark. <clears throat> uh, to answer your question about firestorm, would it have been more successful if it came out of Trinity war? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, if firestorm could have launched out of something else, I mean, it really, it did launch out of flashpoint really, and sort of launched six months later out of Brightest Day. If it had launched, like when Brightest Day number, was it 26? Is that what it ended on or whatever? If Brightest Day 26 had come out and the next month Firestorm number one would have come out, that would have been a a no-brainer. Would have really helped. If Trinity War had happened and Firestorm number one came out after that, that would have been a huge help. It's just, um, what killed Firestorm, I don't know, was I don't think it was necessarily the timing of it. I just think that it was such a departure from the classic character that people weren't ready for it, Mm -hmm. so... Why don't you uh, – you got to read the end of his letter here. I like this. Uh, he says, thanks for the great show. Always fanning the flame, riding the waves, and carrying the banner of the excellent Ace Kilroy strip, Jack Dower. Thank you very Woo-hoo. much, Jack. I have to mention this to relate to the Baltimore Comic Con. Someone else that was there was Tom Zoller from Love and Capes, one of my old friends I went to Cubert uh, with. He uh, took a picture of Penguin cosplay at the Baltimore Comic Con. But the express purpose – that we would put it up on our Tumblr feed for you, Jack, for you to enjoy. Because <laughs> he actually wow. me- he actually mentioned to me that, that, that there's that guy that listens to your show, Jack Dower, and he loves the penguin. So I took a picture. So the the picture that we're going to post on the on the Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, of penguin cosplay, that is for you, Jack. Enjoy. That's awesome. By the way, I owe a huge apology to Gene Hendricks. Isn't he the one who did the hero clicks? Yes. A couple episodes ago, we raved about the Heroclix, and I said, I'm going to put the pictures up on Tumblr, and I failed to. I forgot to do it, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, just life got in the way. So, uh, this episode, we will put the Penguin picture up, and we will put the Heroclix picture up. Sorry about that. So, uh, Shag's failing old guy memory uh, got in the way there. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, email from Michael Bailey of A Million and Five Podcasts, including the the... <laughs> I can't think. There's too many of them. Uh, views from the Long Box and from Crisis Crisis and uh, stuff on the True True Freaks Network. He's everywhere. So here we go. Hey, guys. I'm currently listening to episode 64 of The Fire and Water, and Shag put out a call for listeners to talk about the Peter David run of Aquaman. I've not read the entire length of Peter David's time with Aquaman, but I did come in about a year or so before he left and, quite, and liked it quite a bit. Well, it's not as iconic of an Aquaman. I thought the stories were compelling, and the character was very distinctive look. To, to be honest, I thought it was awesome. 
I did enjoy Time and Tide quite a bit when I finally got around to reading it. To be honest, a lot of these positive vibes I have towards this incarnation of Aquaman come from the love of that time period. The mid to late 90s was a particular awesome time period for DC in general, especially after Kingdom Come, when DC as a company seemed to shake out all the bad tropes from the early 90s and went down more of a character-driven road. It's not that everything was star-spangly awesome, but it was a great time to reading the DCU. The whole death storm from Brightest Day being a send-up of the 90s cliches, thanks to Luke for pointing that out to me as I got the two versions of Death Storm confused, and isn't it awesome that we can say that we have two versions of this character, uh, and Sea King was a send-up of the 90s Aquaman, I'd like to offer these options for the rest of the CSA if you're going to base them on their 90s counterparts. I posted this on Facebook, but I thought it'd be fun to bring it up here. In a world where the DC heroes are send-ups of the cliched versions of the 90s characters, Ultraman would have long hair and electric blue powers. That cracks me up. Owlman would be in head-to-toe to armor. Superwoman would wear biker shorts and a jacket. That cracks me up, too. Johnny Quick would die every, every once in a while, only to come back after becoming one with the Speed Force. That's brilliant. Power Ring would be a young kid that constantly makes constructs that use big guns and have out-of-proportion muscles and wear pouches all over their bodies. <laughs> That's it for now. Keep up the great work, Mike. <laughs> Very good. I like that. That's good. We heard from we heard from Ryan Withers from Melbourne, Australia. He said, "Hey, Shag, and not the not unbeliever Rob. Peter David's Aquaman is iconic and deservedly so. It took the character in a direction that brought people to the book that had previously laughed at Aquaman. Jeff has done plenty for Aquaman, but he's being a douche. And considering all the news coming out of DC lately, douchebaggery is probably the best way to describe anyone with control of that company. That is all." Ryan from Melbourne, Australia. Okay. <laughs> well, well, you know, when you're in Australia, everything can kill you. We've talked about this. Like, every kind of animal can kill you. So you have to be short and to the point. You don't have a lot of time yeah, to wait. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So well done, Ryan. Survivalist. Yeah. It's a survivalist email right there. Seize the day. Uh, we got an email from Lucien Dezar. Uh, he mentions a couple different things about Jeff Johns' Aquaman, but then the part at the end I wanted to read is this. By the way, I am curious on your answer regarding reading comics in public. Recently, this past Saturday, August 28th, was officially known as Read a Comic Book in Public Day. Did you participate? I ride the New York City subway daily and literally see thousands of riders a day. I have seen them read books, magazines, e-books, do breakdancing, carry surfboards, and even sell live sharks out of a bucket. But I have never seen anyone read What? I don't know what the hell that's about. Ah, It's Brooklyn. But I have never seen anyone read a comic book. (laughs) Not one panel. So I pose the question to you, Shag and Rob. Do you read comic books in public? And if not, why not? I'll answer my own question. I don't read my comics in public because I don't want to damage any issues because of the breakdancing and sharks and a bucket selling. However, I wish DC Comics would go back to the digest-bound issues like the experiment within the 80s because I would read my comics proudly in public. Hope all is well and have a good week, Lucy and Dezar. Uh I have no problem with reading them in public. I mean, it's not like I'm ashamed of it, but... I live in the suburbs, and basically, you know, my venturing outside it breaks down into to two things, at work or driving around doing errands, and that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't have any sort of mass commuter rail like they do in New York City, so there really isn't any time I could even be reading a comic book in public. So it's not that I'm against it. I just don't ever have the opportunity. I will say the last time I any, took any sort of regular um, – mass you know transport was when i used to fly a lot more and i used i read comic books on planes so you know it, it I'm, I'm with it in spirit if not an actual participant um i am embarrassed to admit but i have not read comics in public because i do get embarrassed really and it's a, it, yeah it's a shame i don't I, I can handle reading a graphic novel usually um 
especially if the cover's not as obvious a comic book. I mean, I get embarrassed because the fact is people pass judgment, and I hate that. And I should just not care because for the most part, I don't care about what people think of me. Obviously, you can that's, tell by the way I do clear, the show. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, but for some reason, reading the floppy comic gets me a little nervous, and I should get over it. Now, I don't actively avoid read comics in public day. I, I never notice it until I read the write-up on Girls Gone Geek, what uh, Vanessa, Erica, and, and Lindsay did. I'm like, oh, crap, that was the other day. I missed it. Um, but, you know, I think if I, if I knew enough in advance for that day it was coming, sure, I would go to the park and read a comic or something, I would suppose. But, like, on planes, I, I read novels just because. And, like, and if I'm reading, like, a Star Trek novel, my hand sort of, like, covers the Star Trek logo. It's, I mean, that's. Oh, my I, God. Wow. I know. I know. It's sad. I, I don't know why. You need to it, have a t- it's, only, it's only when I mix with normal people. You need to have a t shirt that just says, I have a wife. <laughs> so. I suppose I could. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, I, they, I need. I need. I need to get over it. There's a there's a twelve step program for geeks out there. I'm sure. I mean, it took me a long time. I'm not going to pretend that I was always, you know, like. But at th- at this point, I don't care anymore. But as I said, I just don't have the opportunity. But but if I did, if I rode the subway or something, yeah, I, I I think I'd be perfectly okay with it. But although you know, for the most part, I don't read anything. I'm actually listening to things. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So that that is really what I do more than anything else. But I'm totally uh, with it in spirit, Lucian. So. Yeah. I don't know what the, the selling sharks in a bucket. I don't know what the hell that's. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, <laughs> All right. We heard from Dale Russell on Google+. Plus. He said, uh, good episode. I like the Peter David Aquaman review of his run would be great. He says, I'm enjoying the Firestorm reviews, but instead of going issue by issue, go by story arc. I enjoy the discussion of the stories in the series is 100 issues, so there'll be enough. Leave the, the part stories for Aquaman. Um, well, as you can tell, Dale is on Google+, Plus, so clearly there's something wrong with him. And so is the suggestion. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm teasing, buddy. I I really like going issue by issue with Firestorm rather than story arc because I get a chance to break down the Firestorm comic more than I've ever done. I've never spent this much time thinking about a Firestorm comic. I read it. I moved on. You know, I might have liked a couple pieces of it, but to sit there and really focus on a panel and go, wow, you know, Pat Project knocked that panel out of the park is. Um, I mean, I like that, and you know what? If if it's not your thing, you don't have to listen to that piece of the episode. I don't want to. I don't want to bring anybody down, obviously. But uh, I enjoy it, and so I, I think we're going to keep going issue by issue. Yeah, I enjoy it as well. I uh, heard from Oscar Olede, and I've said that wrong just to frustrate Hector Negrete. Anyway, I said over on Google+, Plus, because that's the Firestorm issue I had as a kid. Mind you, it was the Spanish reprint by Editorial Vid, and I ignore how long I, it went for just know that I loved it. I remember it and mostly like doodled myself into the story time and again. What? I was the second talking head in Ronnie's mind. Lots of room there. <laughs> That's totally insane. Uh, it wasn't until the Jolie Cross Dell run, a.k.a. Lifetime's Not in the Face Dad, the Jason Rush story, <laughs> that I got back into Firestorm. If you don't know, Jason's dad used to knock him around in the in the original run of Jason Rush's Firestorm. It was really terrible. I mean, he was a, he was a, a child abuser, so Anyway. Oh, so that's appropriate. Uh, well, no, it's not. But it, okay. no, it was, and it was dealt with. I mean, it was a big story arc where about the dad beating his son. So okay. anyway, All right. that's how I got back into Firestorm. And since I know him a little bit better, and I tend to prefer his character over Ronnie or the Professor Marstein. Got you, buddy. Understood. Uh, we got a comment from uh, Ben Avery on Facebook. Listen to the show tonight. Reading the Trinity War stuff. I got to the page where you, you showed on your Tumblr, and I was like, "Whoa, that's cool!" And then I turned the page, and I was like, "Aw, that's it." <laughs> Crime Syndicate Aquaman, because as we now know, of course, that was not it. Yep. 
We also got a comment related to that from Aaron Headmoss. I'll listen to this episode tomorrow at work. Looking forward to it. I love the old Fire Swim. Really enjoyed the latest issue of Aquaman. The ending was definitely an oh shit moment to me. (laughs) John's really got a bunch of people, including Jag. He really got everybody, you know, I will say. He he really uh, did a nice blind on that for people. Yeah. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, the the Sea King, you know. so. Alright, uh, we heard from Martin Gray over on Twitter. He said, as Shag asked, I'm a big Aquaman fan, big Peter David fan, but not a fan of Peter David's grumpy tramp. Adore Jurgens, though. Uh, Randy Caldwell, Mr. Perturbed, said, I don't re-, he's talking about the Firestorm, Fury of Firestorm number three with Killer Frost. I don't remember any of this. No! <laughs> I never had the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man number three. I had number four, must hit the dollar bins. And then I made a comment about um, the Aquaman issue. I, I was commenting on how it was whether it was the last part of the story or not, and I said it felt like the last bite of a cookie. And he wrote, "Nice um, metaphor." <laughs> yes, it's a metaphor. <laughs> you may not like it, but you don't question that it was in fact a metaphor. I thought it was okay. Yeah. Anyway, and well, finally no, we heard he he was acting like it wasn't a metaphor. It was. Oh, it's okay. absolutely a metaphor. It may not be a metaphor you like, but it was by definition <laughs> a metaphor. Then we heard from Corey Hodgson. He said the Peter David Aquaman run was the first comic I ever subscribed to back when DC sold subscriptions. I loved it. So, you know, uh, summing all this up, it really sounds like there's a lot of support for us to talk about the Peter David Aquaman in maybe an episode. Not not a full-on recap of it, but, you know, not issue by issue. But to do an episode where we talk about the, some aspect of the Peter David run of Aquaman. Because it sounds like there's a lot of supporters out there, and there's some folks who are not supporters. But it, if nothing least, if nothing, uh, if nothing else, people are passionate about it. Oh yes. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to we'll have to select a piece of the Peter David run to read. Now, as I mentioned, this is not a complete, uh, you know, thorough recap of listener feedback. We're trying to do it in some sort of bite-sized chunks. So we're going to try and do some each episode, and we'll try and either make it relative to that episode or at least a, a bite-sized chunk. So there we go. You'll if you, if we didn't say your name this time, you will be in an upcoming episode, folks. That's right. Uh, I guess that's going to do it, right? Is that for us? The yeah, done? absolutely. You know, tell one, them where to well, tell them where the Tumblr is. Well, I, I got Yeah, well, the, I said the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and our email address is as always firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. If you want something that you won't be ashamed to read in public, I can't recommend Hey Kids Comics: True Love Tales from the Spinner Rack enough. It's, a, it's available on Amazon and CreateSpace, and it will be available in Kindle form relatively soon. But uh, that you will totally not be ashamed to read in public because it's awesome. In fact, Rob liked this so much, you wrote an introduction for that book, too. Yes. <laughs> but this one's actually in the book. Yeah. It's actually, yeah. It's actually a very good introduction, but I had to take the opportunity to pick on you for I understand. Earlier. So uh, you can find Firestorm Fan over at FirestormFan.com. You can find it on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Google Plus and Instagram, all under Firestorm Fan. You can find Aquaman Shrine at AquamanShrine.net. Be sure you bookmark that, folks. New address, .net. Yes, .net. We're, we'll, we'll be getting .com back eventually, but for now, it's .net. And you can find them under the same Aquaman Shrine over on Facebook and Twitter as well. I guess that's it. Yep, are that's it, man. We're done. Okay, yep. we're done. We are we are out. <laughs> so, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Yes, and I'm going to just say this uh, this upcoming sting is for Sean Myers. I hope you enjoy it. Aquaman and Fire's